0: Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. today. The first degree. First degree. First degree.
1: First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it
2: on the paper. You see it on
3: Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. You know, I I, I can... I, I, I don't understand the fascination with it. I mean, I, I've... I've had to live with it, Um, but most of the people that follow him are not celebrating him. Most of the people that are following him, you know, are reminding him constantly. I mean, I some of it's disgusting because I see crime scene pictures of my brother Nicole pop up on there um, a lot. Um, So people are pretty ruthless.
4: Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, of the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And before I begin, because I always forget, we are going to do a little bit of a competition with you guys. We want to get our reviews on iTunes uh, through the roof, basically. So if you guys go give us a five-star review, write your Instagram handle in the review, and we're going to pick a winner every week. A new one or a week?
5: Every week. And then we will contact you and you can pick whatever the hell you want from our merch store, mm-hmm. whatever size you want. That's and right. I will send it to you. Yeah.
4: We'll send you some merch for giving us a review. And takes, we have a lot of options. There's a so lot there's of options. there's something for everyone.
2: It's not like we're giving you, like, oh, this thing that didn't like sell an or ugly whatever. Logo no, shirt, no, yeah. no. It's, everything.
4: Everything's up for grabs. We got mugs, we got posters, we got sweatshirts, we got tees. Yeah, you want a hoodie, the most expensive thing, go for the hoodie. If you want a mug, just because you like coffee, get a mug. Mm -hmm. But go give us a five-star review and, uh, yeah, next week we'll choose a winner. Maybe two. Maybe two. Fuck it.
2: Fuck it. Two a week. No, I'm saying it. We're doing two.
4: Two a week. Oh, Billy. Oh, I'm saying it. (laughs) Like, you have... You know what?
2: Here's the money right here. I'm putting the money right on the line. Boom.
4: (laughs) He didn't have any money. But, (laughs) But honestly... Real talk, guys.
5: We do this for free every week. We love you guys so much. We love this podcast. We, it's a huge, we are so appreciative if you could just do this and we'll also send you merch if you win, but just do it because you love us. It's a win-win. Yeah. We work really hard on this
4: and we really love you guys. You get some good karma points for giving us a nice little, a little hello and uh, maybe you can win a sweatshirt. Exactly. All right, Billy. Well, what day is it today?
2: It's (laughs) national.
4: National? National? It's, it's
2: national and snackional Crackers over the keyboard day <laughs> And I think we can Ooh. all Appreciate that You
4: know what, My I'm looking and touching my computer right now I've oh, definitely had crackers. Uh, yeah. I've had some crackers over my keyboard recently. I need I need a good uh, a good cleanup and also, Jared, if you're listening, which you are because you edit our podcast, I need to fix my screen. He dropped my computer off of a uh, little bit of a ledge and my screen is cracked. Jared, you were a bad boy. I know.
2: Yeah, but it's also National Power Rangers Day and National Cherry Turnover's Day and National Bowtie Day for all of you.
4: Fancy pants is out there, or
2: Wee Herman fans. It's sure. all.
4: It's also National Race Your Mouse Around the Icons Day. I don't know what that means, that's but a, that's a euphemism.
2: It. But you don't want to. It get, is. Yeah. You for don't what? It all Sex. A, a specific thing within that, but yes.
4: Is it like, uh, like kissing every part of your body except for your penis? It- what? <laughs> <laughs> like oh you're, you're racing the mouse around the body, but you don't want to give a blowjob. Kind of thing.
2: That's you know it, dude.
5: That is a meta You know what Your analysis <laughs> You broke it down And I, I, I'm picking out What you put down Thank you But I don't know If you're right I I don't think I am You know what
2: I'm, I'm pretty impressed actually. I'm here for it I'm here for it <laughs> I'm totally here for it You know Oh god Alright well All right. that, That's enough of that
5: <laughs> So let's turn down The lights And turn up Your Anxiety
2: Because this Could be You
5: So first of all, this is part two of a two-part episode, so you should really go back and start with part one, last week's episode, uh, so you can get a kind of introduction into Kim Goldman and what she is thinking and what she's been through. She's with us through this episode as well. So as far as this episode, we're covering the quote-unquote aftermath, which is a really difficult demarcation line to define. Because the aftermath for the Goldman's and the Brown's started the day their loved ones were callously murdered. The aftermath for certain people started after the trial ended. I mean, the aftermath for various individuals start at different points within this story. But there isn't a criminal case in modern times that has confronted us with so many unsettling truths about not only the justice system, but also American culture and humanity itself. And the trial was arguably the origin of the reality TV wave. And it even included a Kardashian, who was Simpson's buddy and a lawyer on his dream team. Justice for these murders remains elusive on any day in which OJ Simpson walks free. While the loss of two victims' families will persist for the rest of their lives. For everyone else, this case was clearly not simply a fleeting 1990s obsession. It jolted American culture in ways that resonate to this day and will certainly bleed until tomorrow. And now here's the verdict that changed the world.
1: All right, Mr. Mr. Simpson, would you please stand and face the jury? Mrs. Robertson. Superior Court of the State of California, County of Los Angeles, in the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of penal code section 187A, a felony upon Ronald Lyle Goldman, a human being, as charged in count two of the information. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is this your verdict? So say you one, so say you all?
2: (laughs) After... After the verdict, you describe how Simpson in the courtroom kind of does he lean towards you and smile because those are things that we can't we couldn't see.
3: They they he leaned oh like I there was like a there's a just a vantage point. I mean it's kind of you know like in between people. It was just like a like a like a smirk. Ugh. You know um, it's just like I, I wasn't. I don't remember if I was staring, I don't really remember there was a lot going on. I just remember that, that moment. I remember catching, catching it. And, um, you know, I think it, it, it sort of just put it all in perspective for me, um, about what we were up against and just the, it didn't, it didn't dawn on me until, until later in the civil case that, you know, the killer in all these years has never thanked my brother for trying to save Nicole, you know, the mother of his children that he still has such disdain. I mean, my brother was an innocent victim in all of it. Right. And so if you were truly an innocent person, why would you have such harbor, such resentment for yeah. the other unintended, you know, victim in this case? Like, and he still harbors a tremendous amount of, of anger towards me and my dad and our family. And that, that smirk kind of summed it all up for me.
2: You know he's going to be free.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know he's going to be walking around. Um, does he walk out first?
3: No, uh, in the the right when the verdict was read. Yeah. Right? No, we walked out. Um, I think that the the judge was still giving instructions. Um, it was very chaotic um, in the room, um, and we just all got up and walked out. And uh, there was hordes of people in the hallway. Um, and right when we walked out, there was two two doors there's one from the room and then they go through like a little like a little door-to-door hallway and then out into the main main area and it was just it was complete silence and the people that were in the hallway just like part of the part of the sea basically and we just walked in and no one said one thing and it was like it was profound in that moment that it was just complete silence and it was the brown family and us um we got into the elevator the service elevator to go upstairs um but i just couldn't i couldn't sit in there in the courtroom any longer
2: when the verdict was read johnny cochran smiled and patted oj on the back effley bailey he wore a smirk robert shapiro he made sort of a half-hearted gesture towards Simpson. But the others, particularly Robert Kardashian, had the color drained from their faces. And Kardashian in particular looked as if he had seen a ghost, as if he was expecting a conviction and he got something else. He got that he was going to have to be with OJ for a long time.
5: And these are obviously the people we're talking about his defense team. He had 10 attorneys yeah. sitting there with him in as this verdict of not guilty was read. And I think his defense team was more shocked than anybody except for Johnny Cochran. The movements following the verdict that the Goldmans and Browns made versus the moves that OJ and his camp made were starkly different.
4: For example, as soon as Judge Ito closed the proceedings, all the television cameras went off and Johnny Cochran and all the other defense lawyers, except for Shapiro, joined Simpson's family in a fist pumping, back slapping explosion of delight and returned to Simpson's home for a party that night, which was Yom Kapoor. But Kim and her family were doing something much different. Back to after
5: the verdict. So you guys, you and the Browns, your family and the Browns get into the elevator.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: What do you do next in those like hours that follow? Um, we went up to the district attorney's office, um, and I remember sitting in Gil Garcetti's office. Um, the Browns did not stay, uh, for more than a couple of minutes. I remember I, I kind of yelled something out cause I, their reaction was different than my reaction. And I think I was feeling frustrated. Um, and I, I remember I was standing at the window um, in Gil Garcetti's office, and I was just like like banging in the window. I was just so frustrated, and I think I blurted something obscene out. And then um, I don't know what happened. They weren't – I don't know where they went. Um, but we stayed, and we did a um, – there was a press conference, and we stayed with the prosecution team and just cried. I mean, we just all cried. It was really emotional. Um and did the then,
2: prosecution, did the team cry too? Oh,
3: everybody was crying. It was horrible. Oh. So
2: Chris was crying, oh, Marsha yeah, was crying.
3: 100%. So I mean, it was just, it was unbearable.
4: OJ, on the other hand, when he pulled up to the gates of his mansion to restart his new life, the party was commencing. His mom arrived in a Rolls Royce. Limos pulled up behind her and it was all on TV. While this was
5: happening, Kim and the prosecutorial team were attending a press conference and uh, Gil
3: Garcetti, who was... The district attorney had words with Kim as well. I remember Gil had a weird reaction. He was kind of stoic. Um, you know, there's that that one of my favorite quotes by Maya Angelou, you know, like you can't necessarily remember what someone says, but you know how they made you feel. Gil's reaction was weird. Like I remember not feeling comforted by him. That's why I left his office. Um, you know, and, it's all political for them. Yeah. When you're in
5: that position, it's a lot they're like a loss. I'm up for re-election. Oh, they're not empathizing. Yeah. He
3: just he just wasn't a very warm person in general, he was just all, all business.
4: And while all of this was going on, there were certainly news cameras at OJ's house, too. Party guests in pantsuits waved champagne glasses to the news and all the cameras. Everybody was hugging. Al Cowlings was there. Don Olmeyer of NBC was there. And Robert Kardashian was there.
3: You know, um, but the clerks we'd all become close with, you know, the the all the investigators were up there with us, you know, um, every the secretary i mean we're all just huddled on the ninth floor together it was just very very emotional and then i think it was gil that wanted to do a press conference and i think chris talked about it that he didn't want to and or maybe it was mm-hmm. marcia both of them they mm-hmm. didn't want to and they you know gil made them go out and face the world basically and i think if you remember the press conference chris just broke down in my dad's or my arms i forget um it's just unbearable
5: here's chris darden speaking at that press conference
1: I'm not angry. But I'd also like to thank the the lawyers uh, on our prosecution team.
2: I am honored to have. uh...
5: It's at this portion of the video that Chris kind of loses his composure and starts crying. And now here is Ron Goldman speaking.
2: Last um, June 13th, '94. was the um, worst nightmare of my life. This is the second.
5: I just think putting the actions of OJ and his camp and what the Goldmans and the Browns were going through and just the moments following the verdict paint such a clear picture of the injustice. It just makes you sick to your stomach. So this victory party that OJ was having... It was a huge event, and people were spilling onto the streets, and the media was encroaching upon his house, and crowds were gathering in front of his house, so the West Los Angeles Police Department had to send police units over to OJ's house for crowd control and to protect the estate while they were preparing and commencing to have this party, which was essentially a party to celebrate the deaths of two people. And this is what Detective Paul Bishop said, who had to go there and monitor that day. And he was pretty disgusted by the assignment. And it's not really surprising why. Because beyond the obvious guilt of murdering the two innocent people, the police department, this detective, Paul Bishop, and his colleagues had been mocked, humiliated, and condemned by Simpson's legal team publicly for the world to see. You know, and 40 crates of champagne were brought in for this party. And he said in this article, we sat there and did it. This is our job. We may not like it, but we did it. Meanwhile, a sign was being put up on Sunset Boulevard at the entrance to Brentwood saying, Welcome to Brentwood, home of the Brentwood Butcher. Another read, Murderer Loose in Brentwood. And a lot of this information we're getting came from Dominic Dunn's Vanity Fair article. He wrote this incredible article about the post-verdict sort of reverberation. Okay, but anyway, let's get back to
2: the party at OJ's. So those vibes at the party at Rockingham they didn't last long people start feeling it and not cheering along and partying with this guy and his much heralded pay-per-view TV deal collapsed along with the 20 million dollars he assumed he would make and ICM who is his talent agency who had repped him for 20 years along with his personal agent dropped him as a client and polls show that more than half of the country was outraged with the verdict.
4: District Attorney Gil Garcetti had announced on television that he was closing the case and wasn't going to pursue the quote-unquote real killers, which OJ was pissed about.
5: Right, because when Gil said that, it insinuates to everybody, well, the real killer was acquitted. So if they're not pursuing other killers, then it's just punctuating OJ's guilt even more. That's why he was so pissed. What else was
4: O.J. doing, Jacqueline? He was also looking into suing the National Organization for Women on the grounds that it was depriving him of his right to earn a living. In the spring of that year, Robert Shapiro was booed at a Lakers game. And the Riviera Country Club threw O.J. out because other members were outraged at his presence. So O.J. may have been acquitted by the jurors, but he was guilty and anyone paying attention knew it. And also, after, you know, kind of explaining all this... OJ was just pissed that people didn't like him. Yes. They were expect- he was expecting everything just to go back to normal.
1: He, he wanted to be praised, this beloved,
4: even more famous than you, than before. And you know, it kind of backfired of what th- he thought was going to happen.
5: Right. And OJ and really this whole court spectacle was bleeding into every aspect of pop culture, including souvenirs being sold. And it was really treated as if it was a sporting event, as we know.
2: I remember seeing a watch with OJ and the the, the Bronco, Bronco walking. Yeah. 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 Scro- scrolling around as the second hand. But there was a lot more than that.
4: Right. And something that my mom actually brought up to me recently that, you know, this happened when we're so young. So we mm-hmm. forget a lot of what was happening, but Jay Leno, like, back on his tonight show back in the day had this whole dancing Edo thing where there was a bunch of guys dressed up like J- judge Eda that would do these choreographed dances. And then they had some lady playing Marsha Clark with a mini skirt that like sexualized her. And it, You know, I guess when you're watching it as, like, a normal person, you find it funny, but it's disgusting. And then it's exploiting these people's trauma and pain. And looking back on that, it's so fucking inappropriate. And SNL did it, too. Yeah. Yeah. And And hardcore.
2: And Jay Leno actually performed for the jury. He actually went into the jury because the jury... Needed. They were like depressed. for They exact. were depressed. Bustard. So they brought Jay Leno in. They looked at his his transcript. They made sure that he didn't say anything about the trial. And he actually performed for twelve people. Pro- probably the, the alternates as well. So he performed for twenty four or thirty six people.
4: Like a stand up
5: bomb.
2: Yeah, like a stand-up yeah.
5: I mean, they were sequestered for nearly a year. Yeah, they were no, going crazy. Insane. And it's an it's a fascinating thing that uh Kim talks about in her podcast where she said, you know, they just wanted to be done. Yeah. That's why the deliberation was, was so, so short. short. They were just they Over missed it. TV, they missed magazines, and ma- they were sequestered they missed their family. without cell phones, without internet. They were just in God knows, they probably just coloring books in like VHS tapes. Yeah, you can't talk to
4: anybody. It's they, just like cabin fever. Yeah, they
2: they would get magazines, but but things would be cut redacted. out, redacted. Yeah, and
4: oh my God, it,
2: it was that's
4: like a social experiment in
2: itself. It it is, and it wasn't it wasn't exactly like prison, but it was very very similar to prison, right? And the need to get out of there and the want to get out of there was incredibly
4: potent. Yeah.
5: Well, Jack, back to what you were saying about, you know, Jay Leno was doing skits and Saturday Night Live was doing skits. I mean, it's because the people in this trial, it's not just the trial itself, but the people became characters and there were so many and they were so juxtaposed. I mean, the prosecution, the defense, the victims, families, the victims themselves. And at the center of this, you have OJ Simpson. I mean, you had a cast of characters that the best casting director in Los Angeles couldn't have picked better themselves. Um, you had all of these societal tensions, teeming um, and motivating everybody involved, and then you uh-huh. had this—you had this beloved football star who um, really resonated with his community and was doing endorsement deals and on the cover of cereal boxes. And you had this stunning murder victim and this hunky other murder victim. And it was just the trial of the century. And I know that's a cliche thing to say, but I don't know how else to describe It it. Yeah, it was. All right. So many people know that the Goldman and Brown families took OJ to civil court and the jury ultimately ruled in their favor. And you may be confused about how OJ Simpson was found not guilty of murdering Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman in a judgment by the criminal court. Yet a civil court jury held him legally responsible for their deaths. So here is how the civil court's determination differentiates from the criminal criminal prosecution involves different laws and different burdens of proof than that of civil court and the definition of first degree murder in the context of OJ in the case involving Ron and Nicole requires that the act be done with malice, a forethought, and, premeditation, and that you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the burden of proof in criminal court. However, in civil court for wrongful death, on the other hand, the plaintiffs, which in this case, we're talking about the Goldman family and the Brown family, had only to prove that the defendant's intentional and unlawful contact resulted in the victim's deaths. The burden of proof in the civil case was a preponderance of the evidence. And a big, huge difference between the criminal court and the civil court is in criminal court, you cannot be forced to testify if you don't want to. However, in civil court, you must. So the big difference in this case was that O.J. was able to be deposed at length, cross-examined at length by attorney hired by the Goldman family. In this led to amazing revelations
1: if bruno magley makes shoes that look like the shoes they had in court that's involved in this case i would have never worn those ugly ass shoes you thought they, those were ugly ass shoes yes why were they ugly ass shoes in my mind they were what
2: about them was ugly mr simpson the look of them the style of them what what about the style i
1: don't know they were ugly to me aesthetically, I felt that they were ugly. And I guess beauty is an eye to the holder. And to me, they were ugly shoes.
5: For those of you who don't know, these were the shoes that were found to have made footprints in blood at the crime scene. So this is huge. And he's having to answer for the first time. I mean, in his criminal trial, he's able to sit there quietly because he didn't have to testify. But here, he doesn't have a choice. So when he's confronted with these pictures of himself wearing these shoes, his face
4: And he's sputtering over his words You've never seen somebody look Caught as much as He did when he saw The picture of him wearing those Ugly ass shoes And he was wearing these shoes in the murder And they matched the print of the murder And
5: there
2: was only
4: 200 200 of them right I was going to say under 300 I couldn't remember
2: It was 200 size 12 Bruno Magli That were distributed Not even sold But given out to retailers
0: of in that America. style in, in, in America, yeah. yeah.
5: But even in the face of this sort of
3: evidence, people still had excuses for it and for him. You know, I mean, even in the in the civil case when we had the pictures of him yeah. wearing the Bruno Molly shoes, you know, well those were fake. I'm like, that was, it was in a newsletter nine months, like nine months, yeah. <laughs> eight <laughs> months earlier. Like, what do you prior? Yeah, you know, it was before Photoshop. I mean, I honestly, and I think, but again if if you're gonna if you're gonna believe yeah. in, in a in a corrupt police environment, then you're gonna believe that everything they touch is tainted and corrupt.
5: Another amazing thing about this deposition, which was filmed, was that OJ had to address the pictures and the letters that were in Nicole's safety deposit box. So for those of you who don't know, she after these sort of bouts of abuse um, she had her sister take some pictures of her with these bloodied eyes and swollen faces. And uh, she was building evidence. She was building a case. And, you know, the Goldman's attorney put these pictures in front of him and he had to explain how it happened.
0: A striker? No. Did you ever hurt her? Yes. Did you ever physically hurt her? Yes. Did you ever bruise her? Yes. You had your fingers around her throat,
1: correct? Uh, I could have touched her neck, yes. You I mean you could have touched her? This was I a have... violent episode, wasn't it? It was. You see those bruises on her face? No. You don't see anything? No. I mean, I see this, I think. You don't think uh, this picture reflects any uh, bruising or injuries or marks on Nicole's face? No, I don't. What do you think this reflects? I think it reflects uh, doing a movie that we're doing, and we're doing makeup.
5: And watching him stumble over his words and try to come up with an excuse where there is no excuse
4: was. Sh- pathetic. I mean, and so many of those videos, I mean, you can YouTube them um, and I'm sure that there's been different documentaries about it, but it is very un- well the most very interesting, the most fascinating thing. Beyond
5: the cuz his admissions are really uh passive. He'll be like, oh, I guess," but his face says it all. So a lot more was revealed in these depositions. We can't go into everything here. We highly recommend you look into it yourself because it is really fascinating. And OJ was ultimately found responsible in civil court for the deaths of Ron and Nicole. And the Browns and the Goldmans were awarded a multimillion dollar civil judgment. So Alexis
4: had mentioned it a little bit earlier, but obviously Nicole was, you know, keeping tabs on uh, the physical abuse that OJ was inflicting on her. She had these photographs, she had journal entries and there were these horrifying tapes of her 911 calls with a raging OJ in the background. And there are all these photos of her injuries and in one particular instance, Nicole is choking back sobs on the phone while her ex-husband kicks down the back door for Brentwood House and is screaming obscenities and threatening her while her two young children are closeted in an upstairs bedroom.
1: Emergency Can you get someone over here now to 325 Gretna Green? He's back. Please. Okay, what does he look like? He's O.J. Simpson. I think you know his record. Could you just send somebody okay. over here? Okay, what is he doing there? He just drove up again. He just drove somebody up. over. Okay, wait a minute. What kind of car is he in? He's in a white Bronco, but first of all, he broke the back door down to get in before. Okay, wait a minute. What's your name? Nicole Simpson. Okay, is he the sportscaster or whatever? Yeah. Okay. Thank what is, you. Wait a minute. What is he doing? Is he threatening you? I'm going nuts. Okay. Has he threatened you in any way? Or or is he just harassing you? You're going to hear him in a minute. He's about to come in again. Okay, just stay on the line. I don't want to stay on the line. He's going to beat the shit So
5: this is just an aside. I mean, no one enters in, into a relationship off the bat thinking it's going to be horrible and abusive. These things happen over time. And... Nicole and OJ met in 1977 when she was only 18 years old and she was working as a waitress at a Beverly Hills club called the Daisy. And even though at this time, OJ was still married to his first wife, Marguerite, and, um, they divorced in 1979. And we mentioned this last episode, you know, he had a baby who drowned in a pool the same year this divorce happened and the same year he was dating Nicole. It was a crazy year. And, um, the toddler was rushed to the UCLA medical center and she fell into a coma and she died eight days later, which is really, really awful. But it's my understanding, you know, the, the tumultuous nature of this relationship started just off the bat. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure it's bred by he's dating Nicole living with his wife. Like you can just imagine an 18 year old dealing with a celebrity and sort of this sort of complicated Situation. Not just
2: celebrity, a fucking
1: psychopath. Exactly.
4: and use code FIRST for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code FIRST, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code FIRST Fuel up fast with Factor's
5: restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Head to factormeals.com slash degree 50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off.
2: Over the course of the relationship, the cops are called to Nicole's multiple times. And she's like, you guys never do anything, she tells police. They were called to the Rockingham house on New Year's Day of 89. And she says, You never do anything. You come out. You've been here eight times. Eight times. And you never do anything about him. On that occasion, Simpson insisted he didn't beat Nicole. He only pushed her out of the bed. So the officer said, All right, you need to come with us to the police station. He says, Fine. And then he speeds off and he doesn't go to the police station. And a few days later, Nicole went to the station and said she really did not want them to pr- pr- proceed with a prosecution. But she consented to an out-of-court mediation.
4: And the 1996 book titled The Run of His Life included a diary entry from Nicole, which detailed a recent threat from OJ. It said... You hung up on me last night. You're going to pay for this bitch. You're holding my money from the IRS. You're going to jail, you fucking cunt. You think you can do any fucking thing you want. You've got it coming. I've already talked to my lawyers about this bitch. They'll get you a tax evasion, bitch. I'll see to it. She also called a battered women's shelter in Santa Monica on June 7th, 1994, to report that her ex was stalking her. Which was, so this was June
5: 7th. She was killed June 12th. So, Mm -hmm. So a week before She was calling woman shelter for help. So sad.
2: All right. But Nicole told a friend a week before her death, quote, he's going to kill me and get away with it and charm the world because he's O.J. Simpson. The 911 call from 93, when Nicole is shouting, when he gets this crazed, I get scared. He gets a very animalistic look in him. His eyes are black, just black. I mean, cold, like an animal. And Nicole was right. Everything happened just as she predicted it
0: would.
4: And the truth about what happened to Nicole elevated the national conversation about domestic violence. It brought home the lethal danger of escalating abuse, even if that connection escaped the minds of the Simpson jury. But it did contribute to the 1994 passage of the Violence Against Women Act, which was a piece of U.S. federal legislation that expanded the judicial tools to combat violence against women and provide protection to women who had suffered violent abuses. And it was initially signed into law in September 1994 by Bill Clinton. So this stuff relating to the abuse of Nicole, I mean,
5: shocked the world and it shocked the Goldmans too, as they were hearing it.
3: But I think, uh, you know, one of the things I learned, you know, throughout the process too, is that domestic violence calls went down. Yes. Um,
2: and that's the, that's that ripple effect And not only the race relations, but it, probably even more importantly was the, uh, the domestic violence issue. Because it seemed like Nicole with calling 911 mm-hmm. a bunch of times, um, ha- taking the pictures, writing the letter, putting it all in a safe deposit box, you know, telling, um, her friend or her sister that he's going to kill me one day and get away with it and get away with it because he's oj right all of that stuff she seemingly was doing aside from you know she didn't go as far as getting a restraining order but she seemed to be doing a lot of things correctly right and i think there probably were people that saying listen if that's going to happen you know i'm just going to shut up about it you know
3: well i think um i think it was in the ninth episode when we we talked about you know, domestic violence and um I think one of the experts, the advocate that was on, um, you know, she talked about the system letting Nicole down over and over again. And, you know, she, obviously we don't know that it would have saved her life, but it let her down numerous yeah. times. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that feel that way today still that the system doesn't protect absolutely you from your abuser. And um not to get into too much, but I tried to get a restraining order once and it was very hard. And I I remember having to say to the guy, are you basically waiting for someone to have a gun to my head before you would issue me a restraining order? Like I have enough here. And he said, you know, you don't, you you don't have enough. We need like a weapon. We need, you know, more. And this was recent, not recent, but like in the last 10 years, I mean, it's not that easy, you know? Um,
2: Especially if the person is online and you don't know where their address is, because that's the whole thing with restraining orders is that they have to have a physical address. Right. So if somebody is threatening you online, but you don't know, right. you know, where they live. Even oh, if I you, had that
3: too. Just a couple, yeah. a couple, like a year ago, I had someone sending me really violent, um, d- disgusting, threatening, um, and I reported it and I had someone come out and they basically were like, this, mm-hmm. this is all you have. I'm like, what, are you kidding me? This person sending me knives, threatening me like, I, oh, we can't find an IP address and we don't know if this is the right same person. I'm like, oh my God, like this <sighs> is scary yeah. because, you know, and you're exposed You know, and it, it's, it's a, it's not, doesn't feel safe. And I can't, I can't even imagine what Nicole endured.
4: Um, And then even if you do have a restraining order, it's a piece of paper. It's It's not going to do anything really. If somebody wants to kill you, they're going to kill you. Well, clearly. Yeah.
5: So Kim and the Goldman's and the Brown family sort of had to live in this aftermath and lived in this reality that OJ was walking free. I mean, in this persisted, from 1995 till 2007, when uh, some news of some trouble OJ had gotten into hit the media. So, on the night of September 13th, 2007, a group of men led by OJ Simpson, and mind you, he's been free for a number of years now, just living his life, thinking he's above the law, uh, he entered a room. This group entered a room in the Palace Station Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Bruce Framang, who was a sports memorabilia dealer, testified that the group of men broke into his hotel room and stole various sports memorabilia at gunpoint. Three days later, on September 16th, 2007, Simpson and his friends were arrested for their involvement in the robbery, and they were all held without bail. So what's even crazier to me about this is, so they were basically robbing this guy at gunpoint, and the kidnapping charges uh, stemmed from Holding someone in a location at gunpoint. That's kidnapping. You can't hold someone against their will. Mm-hmm. And the definition of kidnapping or abduction varies state by state. Um but in this case, you know, one of them audio recorded it. And we're gonna play some of that for you right now. Don't uh, let nobody out of here. Uh,
1: you
2: On October 3rd, 2008, exactly 13 years to the day after he was acquitted of the murders of his ex wife. And Ron Goldman, he was found guilty of all 12 charges. He was sentenced to 33 years in prison, and he was eligible for parole in nine years. America thought he was finally getting justice.
4: And then, on July 20th, 2017, O.J. was granted parole after he served nine years for the robbery in Las Vegas. And as he spoke at his parole hearing, his lack of remorse and pathological self-righteousness before the parole board oozed out of him. He said, and I quote, I have basically spent a conflict-free life, which is fucking insane. Denial, denial, denial. Psychopath, psychopath, psychopath. Um, This evoked memories of his smug smile and the Goldman's raw anguish as the verdict was read In the LA Superior Court on October 3rd, 1995.
5: And if you're curious what he was doing after he was paroled, so when he was released, Pam Bondi, Florida State's Attorney General, wrote a letter to the Florida Department of Corrections saying, Our state should not become a country club for this convicted criminal. So Simpson actually stayed in the Las Vegas area. And so you have some context with that. Prior to this incident in Las Vegas, which landed him in jail for this kidnapping and robbery convictions, he was living in Florida. Florida was his main point of residence, but they didn't want him back. Um, And his plan was when he got out to go back to Florida, but they kind of made that difficult for him to do. So he ultimately ended up staying in Las Vegas. So he lived in a 5,000 square foot home after his release in Um, Las Vegas in a gated community and a month after his release he went out to a steakhouse in a lounge at the Cosmo Resort off the Las Vegas Strip and he ended up in kind of a dispute, kerfluffle I don't know what to call it because I wouldn't call it violent but I wouldn't call it not. It was like a scuffle Mm -hmm. Uh, some pushing some yelling, that sort of thing and he was basically ordered off the property and banned from ever returning so this guy, I mean he can't help himself like he's arrogant he just attracts this sort of conflict wherever he goes and you know vegas is where he remains and he's essentially living off his pension and whatever money he's making he's hiding from the goldmans at every turn because he owes them a fuck ton of money it's still so incredibly insane to me that you can do this do what oj did to two people and be walking free and kim is just the strongest person i've ever met for having to sit with this every day. It's it's infuriating. So, where are all of the people who helped OJ get acquitted today? We cannot do an aftermath episode about the OJ Simpson case or Ron Goldman or Nicole Simpson without talking about OJ's dream team, quote unquote. And in the opinion of many, the lawyers who fought so hard for OJ Simpson's acquittal have become diminished by their association with him. And, uh, this was in the Dominic Dunn article for vanity fair. He called it victory without honor. So there were at least 10 lawyers who worked on Simpson's dream team. And, um, many of them though, didn't even speak in court, but they were there for various reasons. And some of them drew more attention than others. I mean, everybody knows about Johnny Cochran, about Kardashian, Rob Shapiro. Interestingly, um, Robert Kardashian died of esophageal cancer in 2003 and Johnny Cochran died of brain cancer in 2005. Robert Shapiro steered his practice into civil litigation after the trial and co-founded LegalZoom. So he's doing just fine. However, um, he did end up starting the Brent Shapiro Foundation benefiting drug abuse awareness after his son died of an overdose in 2005, which is very sad. Um, and Barry Scheck, the attorney who has probably the most interesting trajectory post trial than anyone, um, started the Innocence Project, which to me I interpret as just like re- repentance. The Innocence Project is an amazing organization, uh, and they do really amazing work, and they actually get innocent people out. So I just think it's fascinating that he was on this team to begin with.
2: The aftermath and the people that were in the trial on the defense team you see a lot of them are not with us anymore Uh and um but some of them are you know you see robert shapiro starting you know co-founder of legal zoom he's on tv and everything like that i'm sure those his commercials have probably popped up while you're watching tv a little bit yeah but you've got other guys like kardashian he dies Mm -hmm. of cancer you've got Cochran Cochran died of cancer, right? Mm
5: -hmm. Brain Brain cancer. Mm
2: -hmm. So, I mean, a lot of people have pointed to that as being karma. Uh How do you feel about that?
3: Um, I mean, yeah, I guess I, I, I honestly didn't attach too much feeling to their deaths. Um, I didn't shed a tear. I wasn't celebrating. I just was kind of indifferent to it because it 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 alleviated a little bit of stress, you know, because that was just, you know, one less, two less people. When Robert Shapiro's son overdosed, um you know, there was a there was a part of me that thought maybe now you understand what it feels like, you know, but his son also didn't die at the hands of another person. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was probably a little bit of part of me that was like wishing that he'd feel a little bit of pain the way that we did. And I know that's not very compassionate of me. Um, but again, this is where my head and my heart don't always align because I think I'm, I mean, I run a mental health treatment facility, you know, like I'm very compassionate. Um, but when it comes to the people that contributed to so much of my trauma. Um, I hold them in a different category and, um, I just try not to give them any more of my energy because I can't afford, I can't afford to keep letting them take that much away from me.
2: And one of the guys that was part of the defense team went on to start the Innocence Project, Mm -hmm. which is, remember we were at a party, me and you. Yeah. With a producer who we won't name. Yeah. And we were talking about it. it was actually my first story for that TV show. And he said, um, yeah, yeah, that was, it was, it was the Innocence Project, because it was the case of Kimberly Long out of San Diego. And he's like, you know, the Innocence Project, right? And he turns to you and you go, I know Barry Sheck. Right. And then I turn to him and I go, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, <laughs> and,
5: Everybody knows. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: And um, it's almost like I always I see his career as being just one long apology almost Barry Sheck. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You know I I I don't like to see people that have been, you know, wrongfully convicted stay behind bars. I'm all for science, I'm all for, you know, us kind of going back and and revisiting and you know because again, you know, it's it, it's some of these cases are so old that we didn't have the resources then and and if Barry Sheck is doing something Good in the world to help make somebody else's life better that was wrongfully convicted. Then more power to him. But it doesn't excuse what happened in our case. Yeah. Um, and I again, I can separate. I understand the role of a defense attorney. I understand that if that if I was accused of something, I would want the best team of people in my court. I, I get all of that, but. I was also sitting in a courtroom watching these people lie and cheat and manipulate and, and annihilate good humans um, for the sake of getting their client off who the whole fucking world, thank you for swearing, knows is guilty. And what they did um, to manipulate a system that I think is designed to be truthful and honest um, in theory, uh, take advantage of that. I don't have a lot of room for for kindness.
5: Right. And what mm-hmm. I was going to say is like. The role of a defense is completely ne- legally necessary and they, pro- right. they protect our liberties. But what these defense attorneys did not only impacted your family and the outcome of this, the things that they were arguing that were not
3: true right. caused so many right. problems. We set, we set in- race relations back. Mm-hmm. Oh, immensely. Oh, immensely. Trust the
5: police. Just but again, like... our
3: system allows for that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I am angry what they did, our system afforded them the opportunity to do that. Judge Ito allowed for that stuff to happen. But that didn't happen in the in the civil case yeah. in that courtroom. They got away with so much that was unnecessary and our system allows for those things to happen. So they use the system to their benefit. They manipulate it. They bent it. They twisted it. They did whatever they possibly could. And it worked, you know, taking myself out of this good on you for being able to do that, you you're know, but, personal choices. And I agree. And I,
5: I don't like condemn every criminal defense attorney because somebody has to do it. Yeah. But like when I think about what's happened to some of these men, I'm like, yeah, you're a piece of shit. Right. Those are personal choices. Cochran used to be a pr- prosecutor. How right. can you like? I think of these guys as like devil's advocate. How can you be arguing for the good and then use these legal hijinks to cause so much pain? Right. Not just in this case, but knowingly adding fuel to a fire that was
3: already, you know. Well, and I think you make a good point about personal choices. I've always gone back to you know, there's there's a line that that was crossed, um, and then they just kept going. Yeah. And I and I think that you can you can provide. A valiant defense for your client as you're supposed to. But then what they did continuing um, in that, that, that effort, um, I just think is, is, is without integrity. And I don't have any respect for that.
5: It was victory without honor yeah. for all of them. Yeah. And the rest of their careers were completely tarnished. Yeah. And sure, you can make a good investment and start LegalZoom, People still don't respect you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, they still a, are that guy who got a killer off. There's a right. stink
2: on all of them. There's a stink on Henry Lee. There's a stink right. on, on, um, on Sheck. Even right. though Sheck is like doing, you know, work and getting, you know, being hugged and getting a lot of people out of prison that shouldn't be in prison, which is fantastic work. But you still have a stink on you because right. of that. It wasn't like you were hurting for, you know, like if you're a court appointed attorney and you're trying to defend somebody, like you said, Alexis, you're doing your job. These guys were not hurting for money. Right. And I almost think that when they were all in a room together, they were constant. there was a competition between them, not only for leadership of it, but also trying to one-up each other. Oh, yeah. Like, what else could we get away with? Like, I'm going to go even bigger than you. Yeah. Right. You did this with this. Watch me do this with this. Right. So you had all of these swinging dicks in a room saying, <laughs> this is what we're going to do.
5: Right. Right. And the last thing I want to say about the Dream Team, my mom's an attorney mm-hmm. and she um, graduated from Santa Clara University, which is where Gerald all oh, uh-huh. was the dean the year before uh, so she was studying under him and then had to watch the trial as like a newly graduated lawyer and he apparently instilled just like integrity and and she said she was horrified because yeah. she is the most altruistic like the opposite of what this the the stereotypical lawyer like right. one of these guys is she was like hurt by it because she's like i just
3: learn from you, and this is what you're doing? I've heard that a lot um, from people in law enforcement and then also attorneys that were just mortified by what they were seeing.
0: Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Today.
5: All right. So as most of you probably know, OJ is now free. And I,
3: he's living in a gated community. Um, supposedly, he's living... With someone who's been a supporter of his, um, I don't know, but he, um, we know that he's treated pretty well. Well, I shouldn't say that. I got yelled at for saying that he's treated like a king in Vegas because a lot of people said that's not how he's been treated. But we know he gets VIP access, mm-hmm. uh, maybe to restricted places. But, um, you know, he drives, he gets driven around by a driver and a Bentley. And um, that's what we've heard. Yeah. We've seen documentation of, but I don't know. When he was paroled. I felt this anxiety again. And the reason I bring it up is because I didn't realize that I was free from it until he was coming back out again. Because when he's walking the streets and wherever he was living, whether it was in Los Angeles or in Florida, there was always a moment that we could run into him, you know, or he'd pop up on television. But when he was in prison for nine years, you know, I was like, oh, I have a little bit of a break. And then when he was released on parole, it was like the hairs went up the back of my neck again because I'm like, I'm exposed to it again.
4: OJ has been keeping himself quite busy. And one way he's been doing this is through his newly opened Twitter account. And he's got a lot to say. OJ Simpson appeared on Twitter addressing one of the long standing rumors, namely that he is Khloe Kardashian's real father. For years, fans have commented on the striking similarities between the two. And he said that his relationship with Rob Kardashian was that of brothers and that the rumors are quote unquote bogus and tasteless. And the fact that he is saying that is tasteless is fucked up.
5: The fact that he says anything, I mean, this guy's not a, not a
4: person to be, you know, criticizing, criticizing taste. Exactly.
2: Speaking of him having, you know, wanting to have his own voice, he gets out, he starts a Twitter account. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it, it, it all comes back again. Why do you think he started the Twitter account? Is it because he knew you were doing the podcast?
3: It's not a coincidence that it came out the same day that the podcast was released. It was the Um, same day. Well, let me say this. My podcast, the first episode was June 12th. I didn't know about his Twitter account until the 14th, -hmm. but by that point, he had like five hundred thousand, so I somewhere between the twelfth and the 14th it happened. I don't know because oh. i I wasn't paying attention, and someone forwarded it to me. But the night that he broke into the hotel room in Vegas was the same day that the "If I did a book" was released. Um, so maybe, you know, with his first tweet being, "I have some getting even to do." I mean, that's the first thing you say. Yeah,
2: exactly. S- so has he said anything about you since then?
3: Mm-mm. He talked about the Howard Stern show. Um, mm-hmm. that I was on... Uh, Which was
2: great, by the way. Oh,
3: thank you. Um, he he talked around that, but it was in reference... To, yeah. And the debates and, you know, he talked, his tweet the other day was about, you know, the gun violence and all the murder and the company. I'm like, that's rich. <laughs> coming from you. What uh-huh.
5: I loved, what I loved, was when he was uh, at his parole hearing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I've lived
3: a life free of conflict. Yeah. Is what he said. F- fucking insane. Insane. Yeah. Well, and... You know, I don't remember um uh if I don't know if you are watching, it, but the, the parole hearing, if you there was a one of the parole board members was wearing an NFL it was tie. Oh um that whole thing was a farce. Um yeah, that whole thing was a farce.
5: All right. So what we should absolutely bring up and what few people really understand the inner workings of is this book, If I did it, that OJ had Written, but it wasn't really him. It was by a ghostwriter.
4: Yeah, by a ghostwriter, but it was a hypothetical situation that if he did commit these murders, how he would have done it, literally a play-by-play. And um, it was really interesting to me that it was written by a ghostwriter. This man named Pablo Feñeves was actually testifying against OJ in the trial because he was a neighbor that heard Nicole Simpson's dog barking. So when he was approached to ghostwrite the book for OJ, who's quite confused to say
5: the least. Yeah. And it was his manager, I think, who had approached him about it. And he was like, I'm not really sure I have to, I have to mull over taking this project. But eventually after he met OJ, he was kind of like, oh, like this book, people initially will think I'm a piece of shit for doing it. Mm -hmm. But once they read it, they'll realize why I did it. It's like, he's confessing and I'm helping put it out there. Right.
2: When did you first learn about the book? And then... When you read that chapter, what was going through your head?
3: You know, I mean, he. This is not normal. You know, an innocent person would not do that. Just the concept in and of itself of writing it and and being is agreeing the, to do it is just weird. The
4: most insane thing I've. ever but That's heard what in my a life. psychotic
3: person does. The, if I did a book, um, I remember I was sitting in the parking lot picking my son up from kinder care um, when he was. Uh, like after school or something. Um, uh, and a friend of mine who was, a, uh, read it on the national Enquirer, like it was on the cover of the national Enquirer that he wrote if I did it. Um, so I found out like, like the rest of the world and then we did whatever we needed to do from a legal perspective and raised a stink, and the book got pulled, but we ended up, that's a whole podcast and it's yeah. in and of itself. Um, yeah. but we originally thought that that book was like a manual for murder, and so we were very much against it and um, successful in, in getting them to pull it. Um, and then ended up with that stupid book um, by a bunch of legal maneuverings because he owed us so much money from the civil case. I read chapter six, which was called "The Night of," and I was like, "Oh my God, this is a confession." holy crap, I want everybody to see this. Like at some point I, we kind of flipped, um, not that I wanted to publish it. We were forced to publish it. That's a court order. Um, but once I read it and I understood what it was about, I wasn't as, I was fully disgusted by the book because I think it's disgusting that an innocent quote unquote, innocent person would write a hypothetical about how he killed his wife and Mm -hmm. somebody else. Um, but then I was like, oh, this is a confession. that's how I interpreted it. Um, it's just gross that we were forced to publish it.
5: So interestingly, I mean, we had this massive judgment won by the Goldman's in the OJ civil case. So in bankruptcy court, how it works, they're the largest debtors. OJ owes them the most money. So when this happens, um, they took him to court. They were actually awarded the rights to the book. So, but under these terms, they were awarded the rights, but they actually had to put the book out and they had to Publish and put the book out under the original name, but to get around that they did something interesting
4: Yeah to get around it So the title of the book was if I did it and the original cover was just big if I did it So what the goldmans did is they took the if and put the if really small and really light inside the eye so you can barely even see it and As an outsider's perspective, it just looks like it says I did it and then underneath it. It says confessions of a killer which I just thought was a very interesting move on their part
2: by O.J. Simpson. By yeah,
4: yeah, and it's like they—the
5: irony of them having control over this piece of literature—is so interesting. And they got so much shit about it because people don't understand how this works. Yeah, where it's like they were just trying to collect on anything to punish him, and it's like they didn't want to put this put like put this book out. They had to, but they had to to get assent from him, and um, but then they ultimately, I think, once they read it. Based on what Kim said, you know what? This is a confession. People should see this. Right? This is the piece of shit who did this. Whether we like it or not, this happened. OJ was acquitted for two murders he committed. We have to sit with this. This is part of our history now, and we look back on the days after this acquittal, and it's as mind blowing now as it was then. In 1994, after OJ Simpson. Was acquitted. In the days following, he reportedly was cavorting in Beverly Hills with Fredericks of Hollywood model Gretchen Stockdale and openly playing golf in Florida with Paula Barbieri beside him, who was his girlfriend. While Ron and Nicole were buried in the ground at ages 25 and 35, with photographic evidence of their death and autopsy photos now on the internet for people to see. What OJ did to them, the evidence of that has been seen by millions of people and he's just out. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things we said in the beginning of this episode where it's like, no case has sort of shook loose the sort of injustices and, um, rattled us as people in that, you know, you trust the judicial system that when you go into a case, if you did it, if you didn't do it, the conviction will land appropriately. And this is a case that really rattled people's faith not only the judicial system but thanks to people like Johnny Cochran in the police as well uh, like i said it continues to resonate to this day i mean and it's only been 25 years and as as long as that is it's also a short amount of time yeah. and we all remember it and we still talk about it and it's still as culturally relevant as ever you know with this 25 year anniversary that's that's come i mean i think something fascinating that kim said was that the day her podcast came out oj got on twitter the day that um, was it the the day he the was Vegas. yeah, what what did that coincide with? The day that he oh, the book rights. Yeah. yeah.
4: The book rights went over to them the day that he did the Vegas robbery. Right. The
5: day that they acquired it's the not book rights. Coincidence. Yeah, and he he pushes back, you know, he's he can't help it. And he wants to be perceived as this like well liked, balanced guy, but he can't even help like, I'm gonna join Twitter and fuck with yeah, fuck with these people, not even realizing how overt it is the day of
2: and that's that's what we we hope because the system failed us the media potentially failed us the civil court failed us because he's not paying any money right now because he's getting his pension and all that stuff so and he's
5: got all these tricks set up to where yeah, he yeah, yeah. borrows on his house and all so, that stuff
2: so now he's on social media he thinks he's winning Can we catch him with that? That's all I think about is that, can we catch him in, he's making money on this, he's making money on that, he's making money on, on this ad or something like that.
5: I don't think people would dare and give him ads, man.
2: That would be so weird. It would just be
5: suicide for the brand. No,
2: this fucking like shitty clubs, you know, come on, Jack, you know that. (laughs)
4: Shitty clubs in I haven't been to a club Since I was 19 I, years I know, old I
2: know But Jack You you know that what I'm talking about though <laughs> You Do know what I? I mean Yes You know what I mean It's just, it's just like some fucking bullshit club It's like Oh we want some people to come to us OJ You mean like an appearance fee Yes
4: I mean I don't know Maybe 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 a crappy club in Vegas. Who knows? Yeah.
5: Listen, OJ is 71 years old. He's not going to be alive that much longer. Meeting Kim Goldman today. She is a lovely person. And she does not deserve what she's been through. No. And he's duped so many people. I'm just sick of it. I just don't fucking like OJ Simpson. And we were struggling in this episode because um, some of it seems boring to me. And I realized those parts. I'm like, it's when we talk about OJ. He's just... A slimy, arrogant psychopath. psychopath. And I just don't fucking like him. No. And I cannot wait till I don't have to ever hear about him again. And Kim Goldman's amazing. Fred Goldman. I didn't meet him, but I want to know him based on Kim's podcast. Ugh. Ron Goldman was probably a lovely guy just based on his family. And Nicole, I mean, yeah, it's, it's horrific. And I fucking hate you, OJ.
4: Same. Alright, well, we want to thank Kim Goldman for coming and talking to us today. You are amazing, and um we are in awe of your grace. And your perseverance and you um, never forgetting about Ron and his legacy. And um, on that note, if anybody has a first degree connection to a murder or other stranger than fiction crime, please write us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Obviously, this is probably the most famous case in history that we cover today, but we also cover very <laughs> lesser known cases and no case is too small to reach out to us to cover. So write us. And again, enter our giveaway go give us a five star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I mean and leave your Instagram handle so we can uh, pick a winner this week you can pick
5: anything you want two
4: winners this week oh two winners this week two Billy weeks. has decided because Billy is the boss of us apparently which is a fucking lie
2: listen you guys are the totally boss of me so <laughs> right funny.
4: we really are I, mean, I don't know you're, who we're kidding you completely are <laughs> uh, it's so true um okay I think that's it right
2: and remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close.
5: But not that close. Happy crackers Ever keyboards day. <laughs>